Chapter 19 of Thomas Wingfold, Curate, by George MacDonald. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter 19 The End of the Matter But, said Wingfold, only, pray do not think I am opposing you. I am in the straits you have left so far behind. How am I to know that I should not merely have wrought myself up to the believing of that which I should like to be true? Leave that question, my dear sir, until you know what that really is, which you want to believe. I do not imagine that you have more than the merest glimmer of the nature of that concerning which you, for the very reason that you know not what it is, most rationally doubt. Is a man to refuse to withdraw his curtains, lest some flash in his own eyes should deceive him with a vision of morning while it is yet night? The truth to the soul is as light to the eyes. You may be deceived and mistake something else for light, but you can never fail to know the light when it really comes. What then would you have of me? What am I to do? said Wingfold, who, having found his master, was docile as a child, but had not laid firm enough hold upon what he had last said. I repeat, said Polworth, that the community whose servant you are was not founded to promulgate or defend the doctrine of the existence of a deity, but to perpetuate the assertion of a man, that he was the son and only revealer of the father of men. A fact, if it be a fact, which precludes the question of the existence of a god, because it includes the answer to it. Your business, therefore, even as one who finds himself in your unfortunate position as a clergyman, is to make yourself acquainted with that man. He will be to you nobody save in revealing, through knowledge of his inmost heart, the Father to you. Take then your New Testament as if you had never seen it before, and read to find out. If in him you fail to meet God, then go to your consciences of the race, your metaphysics, your Plato, your Spinoza. Till then, this point remains. There was a man who said he knew him, and that if you would give heed to him, you too should know him. The record left of him is indeed scanty, yet enough to disclose what manner of man he was, his principles, his way of looking at things, his thoughts of his father and his brethren, and the relations between them of man's business in life, his destiny, his hopes. I see plainly, answered the curate, 
that what you say I must do. But how? While on duty as a clergyman, I do not know. How am I, with the sense of the unreality of my position ever growing upon me, and my utter inability to supply the wants of the congregation, save from my uncle's store of dry provender, which it takes me a great part of my time so to modify as in using it to avoid direct lying, with all this pressing upon me and making me restless and irritable and self-contemptuous, how am I to set myself to such solemn work, wherein a man must surely be clear-eyed and single-hearted if he would succeed in his quest? I must resign my curacy. Mr. Polworth thought a little. It would be well, I think, to retain it for a time, at least while you search, he said. If you do not within a month see prospect of finding him, then resign. In any case, your continuance in the service must depend on your knowledge of the Lord of it and his will concerning you. May not a prejudice in favor of my profession blind and deceive me? I think it will rather make you doubtful of conclusions that support it. I will go and try, said Wingfold, rising, but I fear I am not the man to make discoveries in such high regions. You are the man to find what fits your own need if the thing be there, said Polworth. But to ease your mind for the task, I know pretty well some of our best English writers of the more practical and poetic sort in theology. The two qualities go together, and if you will do me the favor to come again tomorrow, I shall be able, I trust, to provide you wherewithal to feed your flock free of that duplicity which, be it as common as the surplice, and as fully connived as laughed at by that flock, is yet duplicity. There is no law that sermons shall be the preacher's own, but there is an eternal law against all manner of humbug. Pardon the word. I will not attempt to thank you, said Wingfold, but I will do as you tell me. You are the first real friend I have ever had, except my brother, who is dead. Perhaps you have had more friends than you are aware of. You owe something to the man, for instance, who, with his outspoken antagonism, roused you first to a sense of what was lacking to you. I hope I shall be grateful to God for it some day, returned Wingfold. I cannot say that I feel much obligation to Mr. Bascombe, and yet, when I think of it, perhaps I, I don't know. What ought a man be more grateful for than honesty? After a word of arrangement for the next day, the curate took his leave, assuredly with a stronger feeling of simple, genuine respect 
than he had ever yet felt for man. Rachel bade him good night with her fine eyes, filled with tears, which suited their expression, for they always seemed to be looking through sorrow to something beyond it. If this be a type of the way the sins of the fathers are visited upon the children, said the curate to himself, there must be more in the progression of history than political economy can explain. It would drive us to believe in an economy wherein rather the well-being of the whole was the result of individual treatment, and not the well-being of the individual the result of the management of the whole. I will not count the milestones along the road on which Wingfold now began to journey. Some of the stages, however, will appear in the course of my story. When he came to any stiff bit of collar-work, the little man generally appeared with an extra horse. Every day during the rest of that week he saw his new friends. End of chapter 19 Read by John Shorman, Winfield, Illinois